Welcome to TSOB with Dr. G, a podcast featuring intellectual table talk about race and sexuality. I'm your host, Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert, a sexuality educator, writer, and researcher. Join me as I talk with the most brilliant minds in human sexuality, applying a professional Black lens to discussions about sexiness, health, and healing in the new millennium. It's TSOB, the sex ed of Black folk. Let's get to the get down, shall we? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of TSOB with Dr. G. I'm Dr. Tracy Gilbert and per usual, oh, something is going on. <laughs> Lord, 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 Jesus be a fence around this uh, technical, these technical difficulties we are having, right? Um, anywho... Before we have anything else going, I'm going to go ahead and introduce this amazing panel of dope folks that um, are just just amazing folks. My friends, I love them dearly, and I'm happy that they're here. I'm talking about none other than Drs. Monique Walker and Shanae Thomas and future doctor, upcoming doctor, Janae Hopgood. Uh, welcome to TSOB. Hey. How are y'all doing? Doing good. Thank you. Hey. Good. We here. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time with this conversation because I know y'all are all super busy and have a lot of things on your plate. I'm going to open it up, though, the way I do with all my guests by asking you the same three-part question I ask everyone, which is, where are you from? Where are your people from? And what's got you thinking about sex and sexuality these days? So whoever wants to go first. All right. Well, I'll go first. <laughs> so I'm Janae Hopgood. I am from Brooklyn, NYC all day. Um, I live in Philadelphia, but I will always claim Brooklyn because that's home. Um, now I forgot the other part of your question. What, what's got me interested in sexuality or paying attention to that? Yeah. These Well... So are your people from Brooklyn too? My people from Brooklyn. Everybody, my whole family is from Brooklyn. So that's born and raised. I'm just out here since school. You know, yes. that's what it is. Awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then what's got you thinking about sex and sexuality these days? Um, these days, raising my kid, honestly, just has me constantly thinking about what I want my child to know and what I don't want my child to know and, and just interacting with folks in general because it's infused in everything. So always thinking about it yes. top of mind. Absolutely. See, that's the that's the sexuality practitioner's answer. We're always thinking about sex because sex is infused into everything. It's just part of what we know and what we do. Absolutely. Doctors Walker or Thomas. I'll go. Awesome. Um, I am Dr. Monique Walker. I am from Virginia, so this is uh, this is where it usually get a little complicated. So I claim both the South and the North, which feel even though it's the same state, they are very different parts of the state. So my people are from <laughs> uh, Southern Virginia, which is where I was born and raised, um, about an hour southwest of Richmond. And that is where both sides, the majority of both sides of my family still reside, though, of course, there's a few of us who've moved around different places. Um, for the second half of my childhood, I came up to Northern Virginia. Um, so that's, that got me into the DMV area. Um, and grew up right around Dallas Airport, uh, and went away for all my schooling, and then came back, and now I'm in Maryland. So that is where I be now. And like I said, my people are from 
Southern Virginia. And what's got me thinking about sex and sexuality these days, whew, I would also say, yes, definitely my child. And um, really, like I think about it right now, especially as this was his first day of um, kindergarten and I was all up in my mommy feelings this morning and, you know, thinking about how proud I was, but also like, okay, now we're about to enter into a whole new like realm of information, like people pouring mm-hmm. things into you and your brain and how you think and all of that. So, oh, yes. um, so that's always a thing. And then Texas has been on my mind, of course, a lot since last week with that, can we curse? With that bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh yeah, we can absolutely curse. Okay, good. okay, I just want to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's been on my mind a lot these days. Um, and then yeah, just my clinical work because you know I we I work at the intersections of all things sex and sexuality, gender identity, all of that good stuff. So um, yeah, that's my long convoluted answer. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. And hopefully we'll dig into all of those things that you've raised. No problem. Hi, I'm Dr. Shanair Thomas. Um, I use he or she or doctor pronouns. Either one is perfectly fine. Um, For me, I am originally from Hampton, Virginia. So I rep 757 all day, Tidewater area. Um, My parents are still there. Um, My parents are originally from, my mom's from North Carolina, Goldsboro. My dad's originally from Georgia, Um, but his folks eventually migrated to Delaware. So most, if not all of them are in the Delaware, Chester area. They're originally from there. Um, I was born in um, Wichita Falls, Texas. So I am a military brat. That's how we ended up in Hampton, Virginia at Langley Air Force Base. Um, for me, what I think about in terms of sexuality, I'm kind of with y'all. My kids just started pre-K three last week, um, and I want to. I'm trying not to fight everybody right now, but <laughs> just the legacy of Britta and Charlie Thomas with me. Right. Let me tell you right off. Um, so I'm already like, what y'all not gonna do? I think for me, like I'm, I'm really a little energized about like what's happening in like music world around like sexuality and queerness and little Nas X coming out with a whole like baby registry with like black queer charities on it. Like that is it's just and how it's just yes. bothering people is just fueling me every day. So <laughs> I am all for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. I love I love all of these things. Well, I'm I'm thinking about all of these topics and I'm also grateful that you all mentioned your children because as you all know, that was one of the main pieces, um, main reasons I was like, I need y'all to be on this conversation and have this conversation on the podcast. Um, at this point, it was what, two years ago that the ASEC conference where y'all presented? Um, yeah, it's been I a book. so, yeah. The pandemic hit yeah. and it's just like, what is time? It just That's all crazy. got truncated into a moment. <laughs> But um, two years ago, I, for the listeners, mm-hmm. I was listening to um, you all give your presentation on raising babies and some of the challenges and things that you're thinking about in terms of uh, <clears throat> creating a more uh, gender expansive world that t- t- and, and raising your children in more gender expansive ways. And I was like, I think this is a phenomenal conversation and I really wanted y'all to come and really expound on that and how it relates to our communities as in particular. Um, So at some point I want us to get there. And before we get there, I want to hear from you all. How did you get into 
sex ed? Like, how did you get into this work of thinking about doing sexuality practitionership? And I think this is a little bit of a different conversation because none of you all do sex ed, but mostly through therapy, therapeutic spaces. So it's not the traditional quote unquote sex ed, but, um, even with that, there's still like the call and the draw to do this work. So I'm curious, what's your journey been like and how did you make the choice that this was going to be what you're doing? So anyone who can answer that question, please do. Well, I'll start because I'm the resident non, like, um, I'm not going to say non-trick. I, I don't have the human sexuality degrees like y'all got <laughs> here, but, um, but my journey, so I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and um, that, and, and while I have and continue to receive additional training, you know, specific to sex therapy, I have not gone through the full like credentialing and ASEC um, sex therapy certification process yet. Um, so I am kind of, you know, on the periphery. I like to make that distinction clear because I don't want, you know, there there can be those tensions, that tension sometimes when folks be uh, claiming identities that, that they did or degrees and stuff that they didn't actually get get uh, official training in. So, um, so through my clinical work and clinical training, I have done a lot of additional, um, you know, workshopping and like I said, trainings um, around the topic of sex therapy in particular, not specifically sex education. Um, and that's really how I got into kind of this, this piece of the work uh, as someone who has for pretty much the entirety of my career really focused on centering um, clients and working with folks who live at the intersections of um, expansive gender identities, as well as non-heterosexual identities, um, um, also, you know, any, any form of marginalized uh, experience or marginalized identity. And so it's, it was always very important for me to have a, an affirming and um, aware kind of sexuality lens as I uh, sought out and, and engaged in doing that clinical work. So, and I'm kind of uh, adjacent, I was adjacent to, am adjacent to uh, a lot of sex ed, sex therapy, sex counseling folks as I was married to someone who is one of y'all, you know, um, human sexuality trained. And so I got to share a lot of space and learn and soak up energy and, um, and attend conferences and all that kind of stuff. So that is, that is, I'm kind of, by proxy, if you will, um, at this juncture in my, in my world, in my sex. You're official in my book. <laughs> Hell, I ain't ASEC certified and I, look, right. I don't can we, can we not, cause can we book. not downplay our experience? <laughs> right? I want, Absolutely. I want to make the distinction cause I don't want nobody claiming, oh, Dr. Uh, Monique said that she is a sex therapist and da 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 you know, I've, I've been in those conversations. This is, we don't care about asex in this space. I mean, much respect to those who, are, but this ain't that space. Okay, this is all not right, this I got is. you, I got okay. you. I will so. claim all of that then, I will take it and yes, thank you. <laughs> But no, I appreciate you feeling the need to make those qualifiers because I'm always quick to be like, because the first thing people will be like, so are you a therapist? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Like I told <laughs> told Dr. Walker earlier, I said, I know therapeutic terms because I, I'm a client. That's the only reason <laughs> I know. That's it. <laughs> so I am not. So you make whatever clarity you want to you yeah. want to make. It's fine. But no, we don't. We don't. Honor. That is it doesn't matter. That is received. Thank you. <laughs> yes. 
Janae or Chanel, whichever, whoever wants to go next. Um, I'll go. Um, I think for me, the beginning of my journey, I was always that like kid that wanted to know about sex. Like I was very much raised in a like Southern Baptist Christian household. Like, you know, keep your legs closed. Don't wear dresses. Don't let the boys touch you like X, Y, and Z. And I just always had these questions and my mom literally just placed like a book books on my bed and said like good luck and that was it and that was my sex education and at school and so I think that's also kind of like grown into my want for for knowledge and to like use books and to use resources in order to like teach myself in some way shape or form um and I think also in terms of work like you know I worked in school social work for many years and I just saw the the really disappointing service that a lot of my other social work colleagues were giving our students um, and even like the staff and people having a really hard time, like understanding like queer kids and just basics around sexuality. And so my want to go into sexual health or sex education was really about like preventative measures to make sure that my people were no longer hurt. Um, so the more that I like collected information and gathered things, you know, I, I think something I'm still kind of grappling with this. I don't know if I call myself like a sexuality educator, but I definitely interject sexuality in all the things that I do. Like I can't teach a intro to social work course without talking about queer people. You know, I can't go into a big organization to do strategic planning with them without talking about gender gaps and sexism and how those things play into intersectionality. Like I, I have to be able to bring that that information to my work. And sometimes it's really been wonderful and fantastic and people have really gotten a lot of things from it. And some people have really been disturbed by it because they're like, you know, I didn't come to class talking about penises today. Like that's not what the, that's not what the plan was. Um, but I also really press to them and whoever I'm working with, like we have to have these conversations because they do come up just as much as we talk mm -hmm. about race and very basics around gender. Like we, we have to be able to, to do a little bit deeper digging. So um, I think for me, I just carry it wherever I go because I just want my people to no longer be hurt by people who don't mm -hmm. know any better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Janae. I, I would say mine is probably a combination too of, of what has been said. Like my original interest uh, was really just about my own stuff, like my own relationship to my own sexuality and my own queer identity and my own um, gender. Um, that was where it kind of started and then when I went when I started researching what I was going to do after undergrad I knew I wanted to be a therapist but I knew I wanted to work with like doing couples and sex therapy and at the time there might have been some programs that existed for specifically for sex therapy but I don't remember seeing anything besides my school's program for a couple in sex therapy, which is the same school that Monique mm -hmm. went to. So we, um, that's really how I started out with my first uh, master's in marriage and family therapy. And it had a somewhat of a sex therapy uh, component there. And then um, from that, I kind of fell into the uh, transparency. I was trying to get pregnant and I was not getting pregnant. And I was like, I am, I got to do something else with this energy. So what am I going to do? Because for a long time, I was like, I'm not going for my PhD. I don't feel like it. I don't want to go back to school, like none of that. But then I was like, I got nothing but time right now. We're waiting. So I'm going to just go ahead and enroll in this other program. And that's how I ended up in this doctoral program for human sexuality studies. But um, it's all in line with what I 
do in my therapy practice anyway um and i do feel like i kind of infuse it infuse sexuality into every um aspect that i do with lost work with couples with individuals with all kinds of um, clients that i work with so it's I don't formally, I still use the term sexologist um, in general because I feel like I do study sex and sexuality in general. Um, I don't necessarily identify it as an educator, but I think that that is part of it as well, like kind of informally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love it. Well, I'm loving and I'm also laughing at the irony of saying I'm not a sexuality educator and then really saying the very things that like are what we do. And, And to me, I think it's kind of, funny kind of in a ha ha way but also kind of in an ironic way the ways that the profession of sex educator has been so codified in ways that don't actually represent what everyone does like sexuality education really does run the gamut in terms of the conversations you could have and who you have them with and what you're having them about and so in my mind I'm like obviously y'all are doing that but I get that because it's in therapeutic spaces or because it's in spaces that are not typically coded as like the classroom or the educational space, it can kind of shift what people think, you know, in, in terms of how we see ourselves. And so I'm just sitting with that in the moment. Well, I think it's also identity, right? Like I think I had a mm. very hard time sitting in some of my courses yeah. with my other colleagues and thinking that we were doing the same thing. <laughs> and that, and that for a lot of different levels, right? But I think some of it was like, I, I didn't necessarily feel mm-hmm. as comfortable or maybe even welcomed in terms of some of my approaches in the way that I've gone about either teaching or doing therapy. And so some of my even like disconnect or move away is like, well, maybe I need to think about there's another identity for me in this field that actually feels very, a little bit more inclusive or feels a little bit more mm-hmm. like black or queer or something. Right. But I, for me, that was, that's something that, that I really thought about in school where I was mm-hmm. just like, I don't, I don't know if we're doing the same thing. Yeah. But, yeah. You know. And, and even you got me thinking about what does it mean to be like, do we have to do the same thing or what would it mean for us to be doing mm-hmm. the same thing? Does it require I'm giving up things or, and mm-hmm. if so, why, like, what is that all about? And I think that is something, even as an educator, as like a bona fide educator, um, one of the challenges I struggle with is how so much of sex ed is kind of codified as this school-based K through 12 thing that's only taught in a certain way and only focuses on certain subjects. And, and my journey think at at one point being comfortable with that, but now reaching a place Mm -hmm. where I'm like, Oh yeah, I don't know if that's the best strategy anymore. I don't know if I believe that that is the, the gold standard of sex ed anymore, kind of figuring out, well, then what does that mean for my, my identity as a sexuality educator? Right. Like, um, and so I'm, I'm resonating with that Shania, because I think too, um, as a profession, I think there's a lot of changes and uh, and I think there's a lot of questions, especially as we start talking about racial justice Mm -hmm. in sex ed and start talking about equity. And it's like, well, how do you do that? If the traditional model is flawed in so many Mm -hmm. other fundamental ways. (laughs) (laughs) So I definitely appreciate you raising that point because it's real. It's real, whether you have been formally trained as an educator or not. Yeah. So speaking of identities, 
identities makes me think of um, my my next question that I typically ask my guests uh, related to because I see you all as superheroes. I think we all the work that we do is very valiant and it changes lives and it moves society forward. So thinking about yourself as a superhero, what would you say your sex ed superpower or your sexuality superpower is? Oh, I like that. That's a good question, by the way. Let me yes. think about it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think, I think for me, like, you know, my, a part of that is like, what do I bring into the space? And I think about like, I'm a X-Men nerd. So I'm like Avengers of X-Men all the way. And so I remember like, there's this meme of like Storm where she's like sitting in her like seat with like a cup of tea and she's like ready to read somebody. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's my superpower. Yes. Like, I feel like my superpower yes. is like, I'm going to call you in and I'm going to be very direct with you, but I'm going to do it with compassion and as a learning moment. Like, we're going to get through this together. But I'm going to let you know yes. that you're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I was going to say, I was going to add to that. I think some people like mm-hmm. it and some people don't. And if, and I went <laughs> to like, this is just how it's going to be. Like, I don't, I don't know what That's else to tell point. you, but we, somebody needs to cut all of this mm-hmm. like niceness out because people are dying. Not <laughs> right. Like yes. need to give you the real because people's right. lives are on the line and me like being with you is not helpful. So yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, and the other part of that is that it's still going to change your life. It's going to be very, it's, it still feels very Southern with the tea and yeah. the, you know, I'm going to be with benefit. you. And I'm also going to change yeah. your life. Like, get ready. Yeah. It, in a way. <laughs> yes, I love that. Yeah, so I think similar kind of, Shadea, what you were saying, it was, it was like, that's a great, like a, a great way to describe it. Because um, I oftentimes talk about the, you know, talk about too, and I think a lot of us, in particular us, we do, um, that difference between calling someone out and calling someone in. And I have, uh, for the majority of my life and career, been very, very good at calling folks out and have had to learn, and I'm still learning, like, that's not always the most effective strategy. Um, And so really, like, embracing, I love that, uh, Shanae, that you brought that up, really embracing that, that ethic of, like, calling folks in and doing it you know, from our, with our, our clinical hats, right. Doing it from an empathetic and like, you know, we can, we can, um, I can be compassionate with you and graceful, but also I'm going to tell you, you know, we gonna really, we gonna talk about what's really going on here and like the problems and all that. So for me, I think what I would say is my superpower in particular is the, like the, the deconstructing, I guess, or the um, bringing this super critical, I don't even, let me give, uh, take away those um, adjectives, but just this like critical lens that I think sometimes in the, in mainstream society, education spaces, clinical spaces is missing. Um, And being able to articulate that, like the critiquing of the status quo or the critiquing of things that just, you know, we accept because that's how it's always been. Um, in a way that gets people to, to really think and again, like deconstructing it. Um, and then also oftentimes invites a lot of pushback. And, you know, that's, that's where we get into the whole like, <laughs> all right, let's call you mm-hmm. in now and let's have this conversation. So, um, so yeah, I think bringing that deep, that kind of criticism, that critical analysis, that. that deconstructing to uh, the conversation. Yeah. The first thing that popped in my head was, of course, the Virgo is going to bring the critical because that's your gift. <laughs> <laughs> That is your gift. Let me show you how you can get this together because it's not. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, I think, 
Huh, I think in a similar vein, there is a um, just a keeping it real kind of vibe that I feel like I bring to my work with people um, and particularly around sexuality related issues, particularly around around some gender themes and gender um, conditioning and socialization themes. I feel like that's a thing that I tend to hit on a lot. Um, I a lot of my clientele um, identifies as cisgender. However, they also have a lot of um, just socialization. I mean, gender socialization has run amok on all of us, right? So there's like a lot of things that, that come up that I have to challenge mm-hmm. and I feel it's my duty, my responsibility to challenge often around their ideas about femininity and masculinity and any kind of mixture combination of whatever they feel like they um, they experience and how that shows up in their um in their relationships in that same vein i feel like i bring up um for simplicity's sake i bring up like sexuality in a more holistic way and kind of like a circles of sexuality way that helps them understand that it's not just about who i'm having sex with or what my genitals look like but like it's infused in all these different areas of your life your sexuality as a whole and i think that is something that folks too often don't think about it that way they really reduce it down to these like two main areas and that's not it's so much broader than that so i feel like bringing that in helps people have a better understanding of themselves and and of their social settings and yeah 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 no absolutely absolutely i see that it's like i i know you all i know all three of y'all so i'm like i can add things but i'm not gonna do that because we want to keep within time but i just feel like you all have amazing (laughs) unique qualities that like I feel like I learned from just even because we don't get to talk very often because we're all busy and especially you all as parents. I don't even bother parents. I say, y'all let me know when you've got five minutes to like, <laughs> shoot me a text. I'm not going to bug your schedule. But, but um, just... bother parents, please. We <laughs> let's, let's not do that. Fair. Like, we Fair. Right. So, so it's more of like, I'm going to just shoot you a text to let you know I'm thinking of you. And you, then you let me know if you've got time. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, I think, but just much of what I've come to see, because it's funny, I actually knew all of y'all before you had kids. So I'm like seeing the journey of seeing y'all becoming parents and going through that has been just amazing to watch. And so um, I, I guess I'll that. use that to transition into the discussion of like, when you first kind of began your parenting journey, where, what, from what were you inspired or thinking about when you made the decision about how you were going to raise your child? Um, and I, in terms of gender, right. And I, and I'm trying to figure out how to ask it in a way, cause it's like, obviously you already had the passion that you wanted like to, to really raise your child in a particular way. But I, I would love to hear more kind of, what that journey was like to like make the decision that I'm going to raise my child in a way that bucks against the ways we've been so ingrained to think about gender. And what was that journey like, Uh, you know, managing other folks, you know, uh, managing the conditioning, managing people who might've been like, actually, no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't get this. <laughs> or um or any of those pieces what what kind of, what did what did that look like in terms of the steps basically I feel like you're for me what you just said is really what it um started out being about um it was about 
kind of using this experience or having this experience be a lesson or be a teaching um, encounter for other folks, in particular family and friends and um, other queer people, you know, who uh, were maybe considering having kids or had questions um, that like that we can we can do this differently. Like it doesn't have to be just the way that everyone else has said it is, and we don't have to do sex reveal parties. I know folks call them gender reveal. We don't have to do these things. We don't have to, you know, find out sex at the 20 week mark. Like, so for, for me and for us, um, and I'm going to say us inclusive of my ex-wife, um, my child's other parent, we made the decision to um, not find out the sex of our baby. Um, so once, so I, I was pregnant twice ended up having a miscarriage, that's a whole other piece. And, and I, I'm sure Janae will talk about some of that loss part as well. Um, well, actually all of us, I think all of us, I learned, we, we now know have had lost experiences, but that was a very big piece if we feel comfortable talking about it, certainly I, I understand if not. But for me, that was, um, that was one of the things that kind of spearheaded how we did things differently the second time around. So as a queer person already, you know, there's, for, for many of us, not all, um, our experience of getting pregnant is can be highly medicalized. And so um, that was the case for, for me. Um, and for us, we did IUI at a fertility clinic. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, um, oh my God, intrauterine insemination. So I got pregnant the first time. And of course, you know, I'm tracking and following all of the taking my basal body temperature and doing all the checks and being at the at the doctor's office like every it felt like every other day um, for a good period of time. And so every single part of the journey and part of the process was something that was under high scrutiny. Um, and so that meant for for my particular loss experience because I knew exactly when I got pregnant, which most many people don't know. Um, and then I, you know, we were given. Uh, the very next day that I went and got another, had another test and saw and learned that my HCG levels had dropped, my hormone levels had dropped, which is one of the first markers that they, you know, they can use to determine if it's likely to be a, um, a miscarriage or, you know, the, it's, it's likely to be a chemical pregnancy. And so uh, anyway, so we were given that knowledge and uh, the, our fertility doctor at the time kept asking, like, you know, do you want to do a DNC? Do you want to do a dilation and cutter? In a, in, I was like, no, I'm going to, you know, we're going to let whatever is supposed to happen. My body's going to do what it is supposed to do, whatever the universe and God and all the folks conspiring, you know, whatever is supposed to happen here is going to happen. So I was able to find out, you know, and, and I knew from the beginning that I was pregnant with twins, that, you know, this is exactly, I'm two weeks at this point. Actually, I knew when I was two days and I knew when I was two weeks, again, many people don't even know, can go well into their first trimester without even knowing that they're pregnant. And therefore, oftentimes don't know when they experience a loss. But we knew at every single stage and at nine weeks is when the loss happened. So that was one piece that informed our experience. I tried to, we tried to be a little bit less kind of hyper-focused on that the second time around, but also, of course, was very hyper-focused on it because I'm like, is this going to happen again? So, um, but anyway, as we got through, you know, safely and healthily got through the first trimester, we made the decision that we were not going to find out the sex. Um, that didn't matter. Had another kind of scare where I forget now the specifics of this, but there at one of my appointments, um, there was some kind of 
something, oh, geez, I, I'm losing it. I have to go back and look at my journal. There was something, some test that came back abnormal, and they had to run something additional um, to make sure that everything was safe with, I think it had to do with my, with my amniotic fluid or with the placenta, something. Um, anyway, what we, what I didn't, in my research brain, I didn't intend to find out, but because I have to look up everything, um, I ended up finding out that this thing that they found is more high, it's like 70 to 75% more common in um, fetuses that are, uh, the, that where the sex is male. And so though I did not want to, and we did not want to find out the sex, we came into that information because of this abnormal test that came back. So there was kind of this play, you know, there was kind of this idea of, okay, it's probably this, and you know, family is making all these guesses, you know, for us, especially, how is the baby carrying? Where are you carrying it? How is it situated? You know, what does your belly look like? And all those things correspond to gender or sex in their eyes. So it was always a very, you know, interesting um, conversation because we would get asked that question all the time. Like, what are you having? Um, what's the, and we, you know, we chose a gender neutral name um, that we would be fine with both first name and middle name that we would be fine with regardless of, you know, the, the sex of our child. Um, and we didn't share that information with anyone. So we called, uh, we referred to the baby as Ja. Uh, the first letter of first name and middle name, or Jaja, um, and you know, so it was it was a it was interesting because everyone, of course, we we all know wants to know mm-hmm. what they call again mm-hmm. what they refer to as gender. They want to know sex and they want it to inform like what colors to buy, how to theme the baby shower, what kind of clothes. And for us and for me in particular, I was very clear: we don't want that stuff. I don't want things that say like uh, I don't know most handsome boy or heartbreaker you know yeah, yeah mommy's little princess like we don't want that stuff and there's more than just pink and blue like there's a whole lot of other colors in the world so like those are not the things mm-hmm. that we want you to Literally use to inform like how you're supporting us and you know how you're helping or what you might want to buy I want you to again think a little more critically about this and figure out okay you know what is what are some other ways that uh, that we can do this? So I'll stop there because I don't want to monopolize the conversation. But that was a big piece of it um, <laughs> for me. And we got a lot of we, we did get a fair amount of pushback in the beginning from from some of our family. But, you know, they just had to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you bringing that all up. I, I acknowledge there's still because I haven't had to. Right. Like, I think I made a decision a few years ago that children probably weren't going to be in my in my experience Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of these questions that I don't think very often about and so I say that to say I recognize I'm probably not going to I might mess up terms and so feel free to correct me or get me to the right place in terms of how I need to understand your journey um so you're bringing up a lot of pieces Mm -hmm. Monique that that helped me understand it better that I'm like I didn't even know to ask you that so thank you uh Shanae or Janae um so it uh we had, um, I didn't want my child to be boxed in, honestly. Like, that really was, like, the biggest deal. And I think that the a lesson that I learned from my loss experience with my daughters who passed away was just that, like, there's so much that you can't control and there's so much that you can try to prescribe for folks that you just never know what's going to happen and what's going to come to fruition and what isn't and so after um 
my daughters were conceived via IVF, so we had that whole follow process as well. Very, very regimented. Um, lots of scrutiny, lots of attention, lots of commentary from the few people who did know. Not everybody who did know, because I think actually you knew Shanae, but only a few people knew that I was pregnant because um, I didn't really share that around. But um, some of the less informed people i will say had a lot of commentary about oh you're gonna have two girls and you know we're gonna do this that and the third and and then that didn't happen right they passed away so it was like okay i now know that i have i do not have the control that i thought that i had about um really anything related to parenting and um and life really it's kind of like sometimes it's like a crapshoot and i just didn't want um when my son came into our life who was adopted I didn't want to constrain him in any way um, with what other people thought he should be. Um, there was lots of commentary when uh, the same kind of questions of like, what, what are you, what are you gonna get, right? Let's say you're adopting, so what kind of kid are you gonna get? I'm like, we don't know that yet, actually, right? Like, yeah, like it's a toy, um, like it's you know, a and, machine. And I still get questions and statements now about people making dismissive statements about something he might do or say, and say like oh, well, he's a boy, so blah, blah, blah. Or, like, he's he's this or that, and you know that's how little boys are. And I just don't want him to ever feel like he has to be one way or any other way um, because of his genitals. Um, so it was just really important, and it still remains important for me to be as neutral as possible, even though I do use he, him pronouns for him right now. Um, we have discussions even though he's only three we have discussions about how he feels mm -hmm. um and we talk about what he likes and what he doesn't like and i never try to push anything on him because i want him to just be him and just be a kid there's so much other shit to worry about in life that i'm not going to try and tell you how you need to be as a person you know yeah um i think for me before i talk about journey stuff because i know i'm going to forget this point but the most important point that i have is i don't know shit <laughs> right like just because I'm a queer person just because I'm like queer as fuck like that doesn't mean that I don't have my shit worked out so I, there are it's it's literally an everyday battle of just having to undo a lot of the things that I was taught about gender and how to like go about life because for one you know I was raised and socialized as a girl so there are just a lot of like really traumatizing stuff that I just hold in my body just as a person. And then like, nobody's really taught me how to be like a queer person raising another person that doesn't really have an identified gender yet. Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. So every day is literally like, how can I talk? You know, it's, it's a decolonizing process of just like, let me, let me think about where that came from. So I'm not passing these things on to this young human that just got here three years ago and has no idea what's going on. Right. So, um, for my journey, I, yeah, I, I, you know, part of maybe Mo, you know, Monique said this, but it's just like, you just have to do a little bit more than what, what people who have penises and vaginas have to do in order to have children. Like, like, and these are things that you, you should be doing. Like you should be taking your temperature. Like you should be thinking about the foods you eat, like how to get pregnant, the process, like all of that stuff was just I got it off of YouTube. You know, my, my first part of my process is just like me and my really good friend. We were just like, all right, well, Hey, you know, you got some stuff. I got some stuff. Like, let's make it work. <laughs> let's figure it out. I got on YouTube, you know, I bought the pre-seed and the, you know, soft cups and had my legs in there and something like I, I did the thing. Right. And it's just like, 
I don't, who do I talk to about this weird experience that I'm having? Um, I ended up getting pregnant, ended up miscarrying. And so I, in that point, we decided to, to figure out another process. And there was a process that I was, I was doing on my own, which was hard, but also fine. Um, Mm. and when I went to the appointment, mm, I went to right. one, one of my really good friends um, who's Tater's godmom or Zayla's godmom. Um, we went and, she, and the lady was confused. She was just like, are y'all together? Like, what is what is happening? I was like, no, I'm here. Like, I'm here by myself. And, and I had to, and a part of my like, apprehension or resistance to also the process was this also judging from this white woman of yeah so you're here by yourself like do you know yeah. how much this costs like do you know are you who's taking mm. care of how about you like, mind your business right why right. don't you mind your business <laughs> <laughs> like, well, the money is no problem we just trying to make a baby like that's what's right. happening like going through like you know going through like sperm banks and choosing people and what's important to you like that's something like i had to decolonize in my mind that okay well if i'm oh if I'm looking at sperm banks and you only have 17 black men mm-hmm. <laughs> on your list. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you're talking about the people who have degrees, have a right. higher okay. level, like yes. cost more. Like, <laughs> right. But then from my mind, social, socially, I know that black men have a very high level of incarceration and high mm-hmm. level X. Ex- like right. I know that. So not all of them are going to be on the list. So it's just, I had right. to, I had to pick and choose almost sometimes like what is like the best of the worst thing. Um, right, yeah. I'd be so, um, the, I got pregnant the second time that I tried. Um, and, and from there it was on and popping for my mom. Like that is, this is my, her first grandchild. So she instantly wanted to know what the sex was. I said, absolutely not. You are not going right. <laughs> to, it was more, you're not going to do to me what you, what right. you're, you're not going to do to child what you did to me like I don't yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want to be, I don't want them socialized in this way um my baby shower that my family had was really confusing for them and they were like well what are we supposed to buy the kid and I said well my kid still needs clothes so you can <laughs> <laughs> clothes <laughs> like a diaper genie I heard those are popular <laughs> Hero theme um, baby shower, you know, my baby shower, my baby ceremony that I had, you know, I had my, um, who, who's an ex of mine. Like I had that person who is black and trans, like come do this like baby blessing ceremony in front of my family and friends, yeah. which was really important to it me. Was super beautiful, like, by the way. Like, I and I was just pictures. like, we're going to start off here, right? Like we're going to start off as queer and trans and gendered non-conforming as fuck like this is how we're gonna start this pregnancy if y'all are gonna stay here like you need to fall in line so ever since then it has been you know i i've had to really i think something i've i've been struggling with especially because they just started school last week is for one people make assumptions that zay is a girl quote unquote anyway (laughs) so that's also hard like zay is a very soft tender doesn't like roughhousing, you know, very much to themselves, like very smart, bright, intelligent. But people, a lot of times they, 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 you know, people say like she pronouns. And, and for me, I have to realize that non, being non-binary for myself is not a default, right? It's a gender identity. And so it's not fair for me to tell my, tell people my child is non-binary or, or has no gender. Like they do have a gender. I just don't know what it is because they haven't right. told me yet. Um, And I can't make assumptions about what that gender is based on how they play or interact because they haven't told me. I I haven't given them that, that that's agency. They haven't been able to exercise for themselves yet. So I, you know, I've had to really kind of 
you know, because my child has certain genitals, like, you know, I see how they play with other kids and I try not to be like, oh, boys will be boys or, you know, they're roughhousing mm-hmm. like that stuff I was taught. Right. So, I, so right. you know, a lot of this experience around gender and babies has really been about like checking my own shit. And, mm-hmm. and being confident to tell my parents that, because if you are black and Southern, like you're never an adult, right? <laughs> right? Like you're, right. you're never an adult to your parents or to your family members. Like you're always going to be a child. So to tell my parents, no, we don't want blue or mm-hmm. no, please don't call Zay this, or please don't call that. Like that is, that is a challenging day to day thing that I have to do all the time. So you know, to long story short, to answer your question, like it's it's still yeah. happening. It's still yep. happening yeah. all the time of how you just decolonize this every day. And every day is a new adventure because now I have to interact with the school around right. gender stuff. They're just like, well, am I doing this right? And I'm just like, I don't know. I actually know if you're doing it right. I just know what I don't want, and I don't want my child to be placed in these really hard bounds of gender. Is there a way we can work that out? The children can call Zay whatever they want. That's fine. I just want to make sure that they're respected and that they have the freedom to be who they want to be. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sitting with the gravity of everything you all shared because. Like, again, I, I, I just knew I wanted y'all to talk. I wasn't quite fully clear <laughs> on what specifically. And so so I'm sitting with the, the, the like you said, Shanae, the day-to-day work that's mm-hmm. involved in attempting to uh, give your child the clarity of opportunity and, and the, letting them know that the world is open to them in terms of how they're going to identify, how they're going to show up in it. And on top of that, there is the very real experience of you all being um, three black, like at least being raised as femmes um, who are now, you know, and having to go through that. Right. I'm mm-hmm. I, like, I didn't even think about it until this moment about kind of what we know about the statistics about black motherhood and, and mm-hmm. uh, maternal pieces. So I'm thinking of, of all of that and how that interacted here and, and created its own unique situations and, and its own um, intersectional experiences for y'all. So I'm just like, one, I'm just in awe and just floored and just, uh, just so grateful <laughs> that I know y'all and, and just uh, all of that good stuff. Um, and I'm also trying to think of the listener who might be like, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Right? So much Especially. Yeah, should. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah. And you to be. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially the black folks, right? Because, you know, I'm, I'm very clear that there are folks who listen to this, who are other educators, who, you know, non-black, who are just like, I want to hear black folks talk. I want to hear what y'all talking about. I want to be in y'all business. But then, you know, I, I was very clear. I wanted to curate these conversations for just like regular, regular black folks to have interesting right. things to think through that they may not have thought about before. And so I'm thinking through when we think of regular, regular black folks, what is our what is the what is the opportunity that we have as a community to begin incorporating some of this work into a more collective endeavor right so not just in terms of supporting y'all but creating mm-hmm. spaces where black children can feel freer and be more um Cause like, I think about what you said, uh, Janae earlier about how gender construction has just fucked us all up. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about like, 
what what then is the collective opportunity to do differently around that especially for our young people and for our children and babies like what immediately came to mind yes gender construction has fucked us all up but even like racialized gender gender norms and and you know roles and all of that has is uh, on a whole other level right and and so i to bring it back around to um maybe we can get into mm-hmm. this conversation because I was like, I am here for all of it as well. What, what Shanae was talking about earlier with Lil Nas X. And again, just like how uncomfortable his oh, yes. presence and his ownership of body and way that he like, just everything that he displays and talks of, and, and how he talks about, um, you know, what, how we've done everything I can't even like deduce it down to one thing everything about um the him just being and existing in the skin that he's in and as boldly and unapologetically as he is doing I love how uncomfortable it's making people and I think it's like it's pushing so you know so there's like that level there that I don't want to call it an extreme but like there's that level of kind of pushing the, you know, pushing the system forward or, or, or again, challenging the system and these norms. And then there's, you know, some of, I think what we're talking about and kind of to your question for regular, you know, for regular black folks, it's like, okay, so then how do I, how do I start to slow down and again, like interrogate and, and be inquisitive and investigate where these ideas, where these thoughts, where these beliefs come from and start to like unlearn that, like, again, start to, you know, to decolonize my mind and my brain of all of that stuff, because the alternative is we get folks like the little boozies of the world and, you know, all of these, right. I can name a whole host of folks that like, you know, cause they, they started as being little ones, like the three of us have, and through years and years and years and decades of socialization and nobody checking them or calling them in around things that were being done or said, or that they experienced or that they did to other folks that were problematic then, you know, they grow into a, an adult person who espouses then some of these extremely dangerous um, and, and hurtful and traumatizing kind of beliefs. And so I think that's what, for me, like, I want that to be the message or, or to be one of them anyway, is like, we got, this should start young. Like we, and, and, and it goes back to, um, it starts with self, like with interrogating ourselves as gendered beings as racialized beings all of that and then it's like okay so how do I want what of this do I want to and and you know aligns with my beliefs and my perspectives that I want to pass on to said child that I am that I am helping to form and shape and what is like an absolute uh uh-uh we're not doing that um, and, and then how do, you know, again, it's like, and, and then how to remain respectful <laughs> to other people who may have more traditional or conventional beliefs or who's not there. Right. Yeah. So like what Shanae was talking about, you know, with, with family members, parents, grandparents in particular, it's, it's, it's a tricky kind of balance of this is my, you know, my child. I, I don't even like to use that language, but you know, this is this is a kid that came of me that we are raising in a particular way. Yes, I respect you. However, you also need to respect me and us and how we are choosing to be parents, how we are choosing to rear our child. And if I say, you know, if we say don't use that pronoun or he doesn't eat that or you know, um, we don't, you know, yeah. buy toys based off of whatever these again 
ridiculous conceptions of gender, um, that's, that's what we mean, right? And, and if you can't respect that, then we need to have a different kind of conversation about the relationship that we're going to have, you know, with you and you, and you two to them. Um, so it's, yeah, it's tricky. But I, but I, I, want, I really think it's recognizing the importance of like, we have to start talking about this stuff and start unlearning and unpacking these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, at yeah. the beginning, you know, from from time yeah. uh, in utero. <laughs> yeah. And and what I also hear in what you're saying, it too, is having to start asking questions, right? Because it's so ingrained. And I love that you brought up Lil Nas X because I think he does an, ex, uh, he's a prime, he does an excellent job of raising things that call things into question, like doing things that make people go, wait yeah. a minute. Whoa, we're doing this? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it sounds like there's also the piece of like, just stop being on autopilot as it relates to gender, as it relates right. to how, what we assume about who people are. Um, that's also the opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. We don't, we don't ask mm-hmm. why enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I, I, you know, any, anything that I have done or anything that my parents mm-hmm. are about to do or people who are like, you know, ask questions about toys or things like that. Like I always say like, why? Or, and also do we have to do this? Um, and most of the time we don't mm-hmm. <laughs> have to do this. Um, and even an example <laughs> yeah. is like for me, mm-hmm. when I got Zay's birth certificate, you know, indeed, because Zay was born in DC, you're able to, um, choose, uh, choose the sex or just not have a sex on your, on your, um, birth certificate. And so for me, mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, like we fought for this right. And I'm going to, yes, we're going to put an X on here. Oh yeah. Like I'm going to do the thing, right? Like, because that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, and then my, you know, my partner said like, well, what happens when we get to school? What happens when we get to the hospital and there's not this opportunity to have a conversation when we're in an emergency? And I said, oh shit, <laughs> right? Like, that, was a, that was a point where yeah. I was okay falling in line with some of the rules that were already there because there was a thought process with it, right? There was something else that was added to where it's yeah. just like, now I'm talking about a little black child that possibly people were going to see as a black man one day and I have to protect them. And so some of that means for me to fall in line. Um, and even with my parents, like when, even when they call, you know, oh, little boy, things like that. Like as, as for me, like I think there's just a level of extra thought that just needs to go into why. And it's okay. We're not ruining Mm -hmm. traditions. We're creating new ones, right? We're undoing a lot of traumas that are happening to a Mm -hmm. lot of us. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's a painful process. That's why therapy's there. That's why community care is there. That's why I have a village as opposed to just me and my partner Mm -hmm. raising a kid. Like, I think we just need to give ourselves the opportunity to be able to try something new and to see what happens and to do it in council and to do it with intention. Um, and I think there is a, a there's a way to do that. It just right. feels uncomfortable, but that's because nobody's lived in a world without gender. Like mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. just don't know what that world feels like, so it's just not going to feel good. Right. Yeah. And to understand that that's possible. Yeah. Right. Because I'm also thinking of the folks, and we can answer that once uh, Janae, you've had a chance to answer the question. But I'm thinking of the folks who are like, well, it's harming them to not raise them as gendered and to give them their gender, give them a gender. It's it's harmful. It's harming them because they're not going to know their place as strong black men. But I'm thinking there's also <laughs> those aren't my people, right? If you think that, like, we gotta go down that walk. Like, that's why I live over right. here in Temple Hills, and I don't live over there, right? Like, we just. 
those just aren't my people and that's not who I surround my kid mm-hmm. with. So that, you know, I know, and, and I know for some folks there is, but so much right. people can do in terms of like protecting their family in that way. But I, I take advantage of the privilege that I have and I make sure that those are people that I have around my kids. So. Yeah. yeah right. And then, and I would say, I, I, I know Janae, um, you, you're next, but I want to just also add to what you're saying right here, um, Tracy, because it's also like, yes, you're right. They're not going to, I don't want my child to grow up um, doing this thing called strong black man or masculinity or whatever in the way that conventionally it has been done. So absolutely, you're right. They're not going to know that. And that is, that's that is, not a bad uh, thing. <laughs> again, what we, yeah. that's what we need, right? Like that's the, yeah. that's the point <laughs> that we are creating a different way of, uh, of, of socializing you know, around this stuff. So I love it. I'm sorry. It's, it's I love it. Me. I love it. Janae, go ahead. Go ahead. I just think it's super important for folks to, to zoom out a little bit and like, instead of zooming in on genitals and then what you think that implies in terms of gender, like zoom out to the person, you know, like my kid is a kid, he's a child. Right. So when you, when people label certain things that, he does as oh this is because he's a boy actually three-year-olds do this like period right right? like across the board we're not talking about whether they have a penis or vagina or some mix of whatever but like this is what fucking three-year-olds run around and get on your nerves like that's just what it is generally right so you don't have to fall out right exactly they tantrum they do these kinds of things that certain things are just human nature at different developmental points in your life and i just think like I've, I think that's one of the, the ways that I, in a very like micro level, try and intervene. So when I get those kinds of things, I say directly to people, he's a kid. It's not because he's a boy. He's a kid. That's what it is. Or he's three. That's what three-year-olds do. And that is like a reminder to folks sometimes, because especially when they have other children in their life, they realize, oh yeah, actually a classroom does look like this or some groups of kids that are doing this thing they all are kind of doing that same thing exactly so let's stop like perpetuating that it has to be related to this gender or that gender or or something else so i think that that's a real way um of intervening is just kind of checking people right away about like are you making a generalization or are you like paying attention to this developmental stage in a person's life period um and then i think um I lost my train of thought, but yeah, like just like correcting people, um, in those moments, zooming out to what is just kind of general human behavior. Um, and, um, and yeah, and letting things develop organically, right? Like there's, when your gender identity forms, it takes a, it takes time. It's a process, right? And hopefully what I want to create, and I think we all kind of want to create is this environment where our children can develop into whatever gender identity that they want to, they, they feel like they have in a healthy way that isn't prescribed, that isn't toxic, that isn't strong black woman or strong black man or whatever the, the toxicity things that get associated with that because there's all of these boundaries and constrictions placed on people when you label them a certain way. So if it can develop more organically, then however Goshen decides to identify, he will be, he will feel comfortable with who he is. You know what I mean? It's not going to be because he feels like he's in line with this or he's in line with that. It'll just be who he is. And that I feel like is such a strong sense of self. It will create the little more, the little Nas X's of the world. 
you know what I mean? Like more of those people who are just comfortable with being who they are and say, fuck you to the establishment, fuck you to this gender socialization, fuck you to whatever trying to bo- whatever kind of box you're trying to place me in because I don't have to stay there if I don't want to be yeah. there. Yeah. I love, I love you, what you're saying about that. You know, when we start talking about developmental science, then my, my light bulbs all go off. Cause that's also something I really love. Um, <laughs> and I think about like people often, what, what you're saying about knowing what's normal, normative for that age and kind of what's developmentally appropriate. And, and sometimes it's like, do you even know what the stages are? Like, do you even realize that that is right. what is happening at this age? You know, you have children who, you know, they wake up and they're a dinosaur and the next day they're an astronaut and the next day they're this and they're that. And that is part of their journey. And so I'm just really sitting with what mm-hmm. you're saying, because I think too, especially as black children with all of the other the all of the other systems and structures that are imposing onto them what their identity is to be. The last thing they need is their parents and their communities on top of that, reinforcing this notion of gender um, as well, because it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you have to re- look, we <laughs> together, we all have to fight a system that is saying that they're criminal and that they're, you know, that they're immoral, that they're, right. you know, hypersexual or all the other things that, you know, good, bad or indifferent. And it's like, I, I just really love that idea of creating that space for them to really evolve and be able to embody for themselves what is authentic to their own own lived experience. I love that quite a bit. And can, and can I say, I think too, that it just, I've, I've started talking about this a little bit um, and with clients sometimes, but about like imagining, and we were, we were, touching on this a little bit earlier um in earlier today tracy about you know how uh invasive or pervasive rather um trauma is like it's it's inescapable right like we all experience trauma on some level um but another thing that has just started to that i've started to really think about and i think it fits here is like we're we are being proactive i think with this kind of a stance that we're talking about um and in this kind of you know thoughtfulness and intentionality around how we think about gender and sexuality and the, and the openness and all of that, that we are proactively um, like delaying or, or, or interrupting opportunities for trauma um, as opposed to it being imposed. And then, you know, now you are in therapy for 10 years to undo or to kind of reactively heal and deal with and unlearn and all of that. Um, your traumatic experiences. So I think that's, that's another way that, that again, I think having this approach really um, helps to move our society forward is because, I mean, there's just so many, when you, when you think about all the intersections, you know, that folks like us um, walk in and with in, in ways that we exist, we're getting it from so many sides, from all, all different places. And so if there's any you know, the, the one way that we can kind of disrupt or, 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 you know, create some, I don't know, some refuge for not having to experience some form of trauma or to delay it as, you know, long as possible, whatever. Um, yeah. And I think too, you know, it's also, yeah. we, I've had to learn that 
Zay is the best teacher for this, right? Like Zay, like centering Zay and that Zay knows better. Mm -hmm. Like my, my like miscarriage experience is I believe that Zay was here before and believe that this just wasn't the time. And so we're just going to come back when you're ready, mom. Like it just wasn't this time right now. And so I hold that, like that is a belief Mm -hmm. that I have. And so I center how Zay communicates to me about what they need. And so whether it's baby dolls and I'm just like, let's try this thing. And they're like, no, I'm like, okay, well, you don't like that. Um, Now, <laughs> and dinosaurs, we, we are dinosaur out here, so we we love the dinosaurs right now. And in socialization, like I have just noticed the sparkle that Zay has when when he when when he sees other little black boys. Like there is just a like, oh my gosh! Like we mm-hmm. have not had the pleasure of seeing of seeing Janae's kid yet, but I I cannot wait for that moment. But just seeing around and and Monique's kid is a little is a little older than than Zay, but the way that Zay just looks at Jordan is just like, oh my gosh! Like I want to. Like come up to like little kids and like touch them and and, and it's like that's your tribe, right? And I think a lot of like black women, like you know, black women and femmes want to be around people who look mm-hmm. like them, and like black men want to be around people who look like them. Like I trust that Zay knows who mm-hmm. makes them comfortable and what makes them comfortable feels good. And so some of it that we have to do, yeah. especially as black folks, is like center your kids like your kids know just listen to them you know they are telling you and that mm-hmm. that that has helped 80 percent of my problems in wrestling anything with zay because if i follow zay's rules and zay knows yes. and i don't I, that's so much arguing i don't have to do i don't i don't have to mm-hmm. go with you getting into certain pair of pants or shoes right. or buying you things you like peppa pig we're gonna buy you peppa pig shoes great <laughs> That's what it is. Right? Very on target. Yes. So I, I just mm-hmm. want to say that yeah. as well. Like, your kids know. You just got to school. Yeah. Yep. I appreciate that so much yeah. because I think you really, and I, I just was reminded of what you said earlier about having Southern parents when it's like you still mm-hmm. a child for the rest of your life. I think much of what y'all are talking about to me mm-hmm. sounds like also just kind of breaking the norm that we have that like the parent has the answers and it's the child's job to do what the parent says that we know right that we know best at this point i would think we have several generations of black adults who know their parents didn't have all the answers and should now take that cue to maybe say maybe i shouldn't be trying to do all the things particularly for this newer generation which is Unlike, I mean, I know they say every generation is, you know, different than their parents, but Gen Z, I just, and the (laughs) Generation Alpha just seem to be unprecedented in terms of the ways that they even process things. And so I would think there's an opportunity there to be able to say, you know what, let me, let me question, is it really fact that the parent has all the answers? Like, let me just start there before I even get into gender. Let me get into whether or not I am the best <laughs> in terms of the leadership. And those are the right. And can it be a collaboration? Those are my therapy Go clients. Ahead. My therapy clients yeah. are mm. 22 through 35, yep. and they are all having the same issue with their parents of, I'm an adult now, <laughs> right? Like, I yeah. want my parents to treat me like an adult and the, and mm-hmm. the parents are having the issue of like, but you're my child, right? Like I was yeah. brought into the idea of parenthood that I have a certain level mm-hmm. of control. And that now that I don't have that because you're making decisions on your own, I'm having a real problem figuring out I'm what distracting. my role is. I'm right. We talk yeah. about like how to parent young kids, but we are mm-hmm. never taught how to parent adults. 
that's not a class, mm-hmm. right? So good point. People that I have in therapy, yeah, right now. yeah. Good point. But you know what? I would yeah. argue that we're not even yeah. necessarily taught how to parent young kids. I think that we're taught yes. how to control people. And we're taught how to control people that we have more power over, which is the younger generations, Mm -hmm. right? So whoever you raise, I'm taught to control your environment. I'm taught to keep you safe, which is also always part of it, right? That's your job as a parent to keep your kids safe. But I'm also taught to keep you in this box and to make these decisions for you because I know best. So that conditioning is kind of ingrained. And it does take some some adjustment. You know, I just turned 40, but there's definitely, I I still have moments where um, occasionally sometimes I will feel like I know best you know and I do in some ways right but there are some things that I'm like I want him to do blah 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 and then I'm like actually no wait a minute wait a minute let me listen to my kid and let me see what is what is it that my kid actually wants to do what is it that my kid actually likes or wants to do in this particular environment and then I have to like release that desire to control him and to control his right. life in every way and so i think that the, it's important yes to keep your kids safe your kids should be fed they should be loved they should be clothed you should have them in a safe environment you know as much as you can control that but in terms of who they are as an individual as a person mm-hmm. you cannot control that and you should not be trying to but that is how mm-hmm. many of us were raised and that's how a lot of right. us think that's what we think parenting is and that's why people buck against this conscious parenting kind of thing because it gives a lot more mm-hmm. control to the kid. And people are like, whoa, 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 especially communities of color, right. especially black communities are like, yep. whoa, whoa, whoa. This is yeah. not, this yeah. is disrespectful. Because yep. some of us ain't acknowledged that we still under control. We still be in control, which is a whole other podcast episode. How about it? <laughs> but um, you- <laughs> That is a whole right? other It's a whole other, a whole other, but oh my gosh. you Like so many light bulbs are going off in my head because you all are right. It's like- we have been groomed and conditioned to see parenting as control. And and we, and it comes in up for a lot of us. It comes from this very egocentric place of like, I want this kid to come yes. and represent the best of me or to do better than I did, or to make me feel uh, worthy or to whatever, whatever. And mm-hmm. we don't do the work of thinking, what is my, what is my responsibility to this child? Right? Like, and, and I, I love, we don't have time to get into like the spiritual beliefs around it, but I love what you said, Shanae, about kind of how you understand Zay's um, journey to you, because I think like, I'm a firm believer that children choose their parents. Right. And, and so when we, if we're willing to even rethink that, then, then it's like, this is not you making the choice that I'm going to have this kid. And that it, is, yeah. it is a child making the choice to come through you so that you can facilitate what they need. And so they've got to tell you what yeah. they need. And so again, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> and I know we're right. But that so- is, that is so, yeah, I, I just know because that is so not how we think about at all. This journey. Like it's so much of a, of like fulfilling for so many folks, fulfilling of this void or like, me getting having this thing because I want to feel, um, you know, what it's like to be pregnant, or I want to be a parent, or I want to, and and those things are valid. And there's also this other piece, yeah. right? Um, I don't, yeah. There's, yeah. there's so no, much, definitely. so much more there. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, I so I want to. So the person who's listening, who's like, y'all just blew my mind. I am like. <laughs> And so I recognize that I need to maybe think and do differently around this. What would be a place for y'all to, that y'all would encourage them to start? They're like, maybe, maybe they have kids. Maybe they want to be parents. Maybe, maybe they got it wrong, you know? And they're like, how do I fix this? Like, 
what do I do? Where would you encourage them to start? Individual therapy for self. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hey, man. (laughs) No, for real. For real. I was actually thinking something similar, like a self-assessment. For real. Like thinking about you, thinking about yourself and your own experiences with your sexuality, with your gender identity, with your sense of your sexual self as a whole, and just kind of like unpack some of that, whether that's directly in therapy, whether that's separately in journaling or whatever, reading, blah, 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 but just really assessing like, what's your stuff? Where does it come from? Why is it there? Who told you you had to be this or that way? Like, where did you get these messages? Because we all get messages. And sometimes those messages like align with how we feel. So then we keep them going forward and sometimes they don't, but like pay attention. You have to look at you first and understanding that experience. And then I think it'll help. It can help to increase your empathy for other people, whether that's other children that you have or other people in your life. I always went to books. (laughs) I was just like, let me get the books. Let me get the YouTubes. And what I discovered is that there was very few, if not at all, people who were doing the quote-unquote gender-neutral parenting that were Black. Um, mm-hmm. And that was hard for me because I had to... That was that were Black and those parents were also going through their own gender journey, right? So I... And, and me having also a very queer household, you know, my, you know, my partner's also queer. So I, I think for me, it's also like, get your resources, but yeah. like, take what's useful and throw away what's not. And just mm-hmm. know that... And I think the beauty of just being queer is like being creative. Like I was able right. to construct from from Zaya's name, <laughs> you know, all the way to the toys that they have. Like I was able to think very differently about what the experience I want for my child and what I want available to them. But some of that had to be constructed. I had to make that on my own and trust that. Mm-hmm. And also trust that if, even if I didn't get it right, then somebody, if not Zay, would let me know that it wasn't okay and I would just fix it. So Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What I also hear what you're saying too is, checking with your community and your circle right because it's not mm-hmm. you can't really do it by yourself if you in are isolation. not also in communication with the people who will also be co-parents or family members or community members who are also be pouring into that child so having those conversations and determine and doing some maybe even some hard assessments around you know who are the folks who are supportive who are the folks who are not how you might need to manage that etc and so on yeah Dr. Walker, did you want to add anything? Um, I mean, not add, I just echo. It's just echoing what has been said. Um, you know, because as I, the, the thing that I was saying was, yeah, in individual therapy, because, and Janae kind of highlighted this point, it's like we have to interrogate ourselves first before there's any, I mean, you use the term, um, Tracy, in the question, like before we can fix or we can kind of, heal or, you know, undo some of the, maybe some of the challenges. But if I can't, if I don't know from where these things came from and also have not um, done the necessary work for me to be able to hear, to like receive the feedback from my child and not, and take it non, you know, not as criticism, take it as non-defensively as possible, there is no fixing, quote unquote, there is no, you know, it, it's going to be a hard road to try to like, um, recover uh, from, you know, some of the things that may have been challenging in the relationship. So um, I just want to also just highlight the how much the, the theme of control has yeah. come up in this conversation. And I think, 
you know, just, it's so interesting, like, how the play on that it, as, like, folks in the sexuality world, and then also as one of the biggest lessons that we um, learned, and I, and I think maybe this is another piece of it, that we don't often, because I remember, I remember thinking this too, similar to what Janae said, that that was like my first lesson, I think that I was conscious of, of just how much control I don't have of life, um, was when I, when I miscarried, of, of like my life and what's going to happen, was when I miscarried, and, um, you know, because so much of, for a lot of us, of our life is so like regimented and you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to control my path and I'm going to go to this thing yeah. and this thing. And so that was, that like floored me, but it was so important and so necessary to acknowledge that, that like, fuck, I really, I, it's, we, I'm just along for the ride, right? Like I can't make <laughs> anything happen here. <laughs> and I, and it's informed so much about my parenting though, from that point forward, parenting yeah. and many other things. But I just wanted to tie that back because I think that it is such a crucial piece of like what has emerged in this conversation that I know is really is sticking with me a lot. So thank y'all. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it seems like there's this lack of control, but it's also very freeing because it's like you can't control it. So it's mm-hmm. like you just move with the <laughs> move with the movement. Mm-hmm. So then my last question before we get to my rapid fire questions for each of you to think about is just thinking about yourself as a sexuality practitioner doing this work of, you know, forging a better society for our children and for folks in the future. Um, What do you feel like, especially now with all the things that are happening in society politically and socially and just so much change is happening. What do you see as your, either your role, your significance or even potentially your legacy as someone doing this work? What do you see as kind of the the impact that you either are making or desire to make or intend to make um, in this work? I mean, I think for me, it's just continuing to like show up authentically and tell the truth. Like I, you know, I, especially in working in a, um, like a very wide institution like to be at the intersections of like being black and queer and like having a mouth like that is something that needs to happen but isn't rewarded at all but i i can say the quote unquote reward is showing up in a classroom and there's another black queer student who didn't know i existed until registration or being able to or have people just shoot, you know, send me emails in my inbox of just like, I didn't know that there were black queer professors until I saw you, um, or doing this work very outwardly and like either, you know, doing strategic planning or doing like workshops or even in therapy, like just being able to show up and be a presence for folks. Like, I think it, it means, it means a lot for me to just, to just be there. And so I try to be as authentic and just show up and be there. Um, you know, I could do all the many like bells and whistles, but I am very comfortable with just showing up and having a mouth and leaping. Like that's mm-hmm. fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. Monique or Janae? Yeah. I was going to say um, in a kind of a similar vein, it's hard to think about um, the legacy piece because I, for so much, for me is about like not centering, you know, myself or my knowledge or expertise or whatever. And so it's, you know, I, I, again, straddling that line of like, own it, 
right? Because, you know, it is, it is unique, but also um, it's not coming from a place of like, I want to be seen and heard and, and leave all these, you know, lessons behind or whatever. So, um, so I'll just say that I'm struggling with how I answer that question because of that. But uh, if I had to, if I had to kind of explain or, or, or identify what I hope it's, it's similar to, to what Tanea was saying of like just showing up. And for me, I talk oftentimes like in, in class and stuff like that about um, being, or I get, and I, and I get told oftentimes from students similar to what Shanae was saying, like the importance of someone seeing themselves um, reflected in, you know, this, this field, this work, this, whatever that they may not have seen before or experienced or thought was possible and so i think a lot about that and for me it equates to um it equates to pressure sometimes but also there's such a um, like a humility in that and there's such a desire on my part to like be a a good you know representation if you will or to you know to to show up and be able to do that and live that authentically and openly and all those things um because i know for me that was like i would have it would have just been such a a, a world like my world would have been blown up had i had myself or like representations of parts of myself reflected in like my you know childhood uh elementary education or middle school um i started to a little bit in high school but um you know, it would have been a deal breaker. It would have not a deal breaker, but a game changer. And so I just, that for me is kind of one of the legacies um, is to really, yeah, like show people that um, we are present and can live openly and huge and like vocally, loudly, proudly, all of that in every facet of our lives, professional, personal, all of it. Um, and to, you know, and to, and to have a, have a kid who um, continues on with this, like, pushing the envelope, um, pushing the, the envelope, challenging the world, asking those why questions. That's, that's another big one for me, is I want my yeah. kid to, to continue that legacy. Amazing. Janae. Oh, I was just triggered by the why. Goshen has been on the why, why, <laughs> why to everything. And I'll be like, Kids, don't ask me why no more. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um, so I think that my, in terms of legacy, in terms of what I feel like I infuse into pretty much everything that I do, whether it's my therapy practice or it's the stuff I do with Black Angel Mom and, and Lost Parents, um, is is really the both and. We talk about that a lot in um, the marriage and family therapy world, like they, the fact that things don't have to be either or, they have to be, they usually are both and. Um, so I feel like I operate that way. And you're, in terms of sexuality stuff, you don't, it doesn't have to be this or this. It doesn't have to be this or that. You don't have to occupy this space or that space. A lot of the time life exists in the fucking gray right? Like Absolutely. it's, you are in the both and almost all the time. Very rarely are things black and white like that. So I feel like that's, um, raising that awareness in folks as often as possible is something that 
I feel like I get associated with. Like my clients repeat that back to me when they start saying this or that. They be like, "Oh wait, I know you're gonna say both and." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, both and this and that." Like, so let's talk about that. Right. I love that. I definitely love that. I I stay telling students. That's how I know we're fo- we're officially in the class when I say use the term "fuck with the grades." That's how I know we're officially in the semester. <laughs> Can I add a add a piece? I think yes, some please. things are kind of even tie it to something Janae said and also just thinking about motherhood like I feel like there's a part of my legacy that also wants to show like queer people like being a mother is possible like yeah you know for me I've always like mother is a gender Mm -hmm. like you know Mm -hmm. Willie Ninja has this really great quote that talks about like the highest level of role is like a mother like to take Mm -hmm. care of people and I've been a mother quite you know a lot Mm -hmm. of years before I, I even birthed my child and the number of people that have came to me or whether I'm even in class or something where people have said like, I didn't think I could be a mom. I could be a non-binary person or a masculine person and be a mom. And that's something I've always wanted to do. So I I feel like also like a part of that legacy in being seen and being visible is just like, we're we're not going to be able to have like a black queer future without children right yeah, so it's yeah. just I, it's wonderful to like be out and you know when mm-hmm. people list like what do you do like I list being a mother like that's also a job so right you know I yeah I want to throw that in there just like I also feel like you know showing up and being open mm-hmm. about my level of parent and motherhood has also really been something that I like to instill in my legacy Whew. Y'all, the beautiful thing about having a panel is that you get, you know, this rich, multi-layered, textured conversation. The worst thing about the panel is that you don't have enough time to really go to all the tangents that people are raising. Because I'm just like, there's so many pieces and we just cracked the surface of these amazing humans um, in this conversation. So uh, we'll we'll have to, that's what the next future years of the podcast will be, bringing you all in individually and doing more about your own individual journeys and work and all of that. Um, But for now, I want to go ahead and get ready to wrap this conversation up with our rapid fire questions. These are six cents and stems. I'm just going to say the beginning and you say what's at the end for you. Um, (laughs) Sinead, what's happening? Are you having another? You never worked out for me. I'm I'm I don't know. I'm just nervous. (laughs) Okay. Well, we're going we're gonna to relax, you know, maybe you have an answer, maybe you don't. It's okay. No pressure. I promise. Right. <laughs> this is a very, this is a very sovereign conversation. So like whatever feels resonant for you. So the first sentence stem, first thing comes to your mind, no matter what it is, <laughs> no matter what it is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Are you ready? Okay. This is the first time I wish we had the visual. Shanae's <laughs> <laughs> face. We don't. Because I'm anxious. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> All right. The first one is sexiness is food. Of course, it's food. The Taurus, of course, it's food for the Taurus. <laughs> intelligence yes intelligence for me peace mm, i love that i love that any particular food shanae mm, just have a spread it doesn't oh just lay it out yeah give me give me all the food snack all that. yeah yeah yes. <laughs> all right next sentence stem 
The sexiest thing about blackness and or black people is we can just wear or do anything. Like we could just like aesthetically like move in and out of all of these like colors and hair and dresses yes. and still be fly. Like that is godly to me. Like yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was gonna say our um I don't have a word for this, but like our ability to like set the tone for things. Um, you know, like when we do it, then it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, yeah, trend setting. There we go. Yes. Be a trend in all the ways. Yes. Similar to Shania, the first thing I thought was diversity. Just the, the range of yeah. of us is just like mouthwatering. Like, I love it. Love yes. us. Yes. I, I will say when y'all, when y'all were thinking, I was just looking, I was like this, just looking at all three of y'all just these facts. This is what I've been looking at. These smiles and all that. I'm like, ooh, y'all fine? (laughs) (laughs) All right. The next sentence stem. My go-to for feeling sexy is? The mirror. Yes. That that warms my Libra heart. I'm so vain. (laughs) I'm so very vain. It's like two things... It's either like sexy music and dancing is kind of like a thing or um, no, that's it. It's like sexy music or dance, like that sexy music and dancing. So you pop on some Miguel, like I'm. I was going to say, when are you going to start talking about Miguel? Let's get it. Like, let's get it. And then I'm I'm here. Like we here, we're doing this. Yes. I think of Miguel, I think of you. And that is what I'm doing in the mirror. So yes, that's yes. In, in front of the mirror. Yes. Yes. Um, Shania, what my go-to for sexy. Um, I, I just love walking around my drawers. Like that is. Come on. Around yeah. In my house and my drawers. <laughs> like that's probably eating food. Like that is. Gotta know. <laughs> Gotta know. There is something about it. Yes. Like just freeness Mm. yes okay next sentence stem sexual freedom for black folk is achieved when we can just be with like no questions asked no explanation needed we just that freedom we can just be exist yeah liberation definitely yeah that i think I was thinking of release. I was thinking of orgasm. I was thinking of joy and pleasure center. Like just being, mm-hmm. when you focus on being pleasure centered, then you are free in a different way than you would be otherwise. Whew. Yeah. yeah. Last but not least, when I'm done being on this podcast, I will <laughs> eat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm about to see a client. <laughs> yeah. I'm probably going to eat and then I need to today? go get my kid. <laughs> yes. Yes. Always here for food. Always here for yummy, yummy food. Y'all. Oh, oh, I just, I'm so warm. I just feel so full right now. Um, let the folks know, and we can start with whoever wants to start. Let the folks know where they can find you. If you've got anything going on, um, what we didn't really get into your own individual work, but like if if people want to hire you for things, how do they find you? Any projects or anything that you want to plug? Now this is the moment. So whoever wants to go first, 
I think for me, um, I mean, things that I've got going on, I mean, a lot of my work, um, I'm, I'm kind of spread a little bit of everywhere. Um, right now I'm doing, um, I'm a research associate for, um, Whitworth Key, which is a black owned, um, DC research firm, which has been really exciting to learn like a different skill. Um, I'm working with the Wynton Center for Loss and Healing in DC around grief work. Um, I am moving into the latter part of my career, the ending part where I'm getting into grief work and doing some research. So if people are interested, you're more than happy to contact me. That would be exciting to collaborate, um, particularly with some black folks because there are barely any research um, doing uh, research on not only just black folks, but black queer folks and death. Um, so I like to get into that. And I'm strangely enough an emotional support consultant for a theater out here in DC. Um, they are actually doing a run of this really cool play called Tony Stone, which is about the first black woman who played professional baseball, which I didn't even know was a thing, but it's a thing. Um, and so that's happening in DC up and through October. It's fantastic. I got to go to the dress rehearsal last week. I go to opening night tomorrow. Um, and it's just a really interesting conversation about like black women and the struggles that they go through in order to just do the things that they love. So I think those are things that I can like highlight. Like if you want a good play, Tony Stone in DC. And if I folks want to find it. you, what's the best well, way to reach IG? you? IG. I'm a little naked on my IG sometimes. So, you know, don't let it, don't <laughs> let it hear you. But like Dark Talking Noir, um, <laughs> emails, I can send you all that. But yeah, you can. I'm around. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. And it'll all, it'll all be in the show notes. So no worries if folks are like, but they, <laughs> but they didn't tell us. She didn't tell us. Yeah, let me know what you need and I can you'll, definitely you'll help you out. And if I don't know, I know smart people who do. So just hit me Which up. is most important. <laughs> Monique or Janae? Um, I am not, I, I'm, I'm happy to say that right now I am not uh, on the, on the professional front anyway, doing too many things, um, doing a whole lot. So that's new for me and it feels good. Um, so yeah, if there's any, you know, desire or need to connect, I can be found on queerfirmativetherapy.com or at queerfirmativetherapy at gmail.com. Um, same name on all the social media platforms. Uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it there with that one. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. And Janae? Um, I'm working on having something come out in October um, related to perinatal loss for the Black community. So you people can keep an eye out for that. But generally, for any kind of therapy work or consultation or workshops or anything related to perinatal loss, related to queer relationships, couple stuff, whatever, you can contact me at jhjtherapy. It's just my initials, jhjtherapy.com or um, blackangelmom.com is the blog. So that's a whole resource for folks who have experienced perinatal loss. And it has some other links to the guided journal that's available on Amazon. And hopefully this other thing that I'm about to release. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So you got to follow in order to be up on, on the new, new. Beautiful. Oh, y'all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for being on with me. I'm so grateful. And... I'm just, I love y'all. And I'm just so grateful that you, you indulge my ass when I want y'all to do shit. I just appreciate it. So, <laughs> Thank you for that, asking. Yeah. 
<laughs> with that, we are done. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week and we will talk to you next time. Bye. You've been listening to TSOB with Dr. G, produced by Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert of Tembi and I. To keep up with all things TSOB, follow us on social media at TSOB The Podcast, which you can find on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. For past episodes of the show, visit TSOBpodcast.com or subscribe to the show either on YouTube or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Now, don't forget that you've got homework for this episode. To find the downloadable worksheet for this or any other episode of the show, head on over again to TSOBpodcast.com where you'll find it and any other important information from the show notes. And finally, do you have any questions or thoughts to share? Sound off by email at mailbox at TSOBpodcast.com. Again, this was TSOB, the sex ed of black folk. Thank you for listening. Talk again soon.